Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Make it go. Here we go. A-U-N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Conant Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks, thanks, everyone. It's a pleasure to be back uh, here in the great United States. Things are turning, twisting. Uh, there's a new uh, air uh, or feeling this week, last week, you know, we had the terrible tragedy of Notre Dame Cathedral, the flames, the fire. We had the release of the Mueller report last Thursday. Uh, we were talking about that. Uh, there's a lot going on. <clears throat> and uh, the people that bring the news to us that we've interviewed over the years are everyday people that I, we, people on this call have met in their real lives. And Jeff Dale is our guest tonight, a uh, long-standing libertarian activist, political activist, has run for many ca- uh, political campaigns down there in the Republic of Texas, in the area of Houston, Texas. And uh, we're going to be chatting with Jeff in, in the context of, uh, you know, and please be inspired to, if you know of anyone who's got a story, who's written a book, who has uh, something to share that can add value to our world, that's the purpose of this call, this show that we've been doing every, every year. Prior to this call tonight, I, again, sort of another individual example. I had a lady from the south side of Chicago, a black lady. Uh, her name is Kim, and she just w- started talking about uh, the skies and how they're manipulating our weather. And boy, did we have a conversation. But at the end of that ride, I, I uh, invited her on the show, and uh, we'll make the arrangements in the next two or three weeks or whatever she can make it on. But uh, Kim, if you're listening, uh, it's the example of just these interactions that we have from day to day, from month to month, from year to year. We've been doing this for 12 years. Jeff Dale, 12 years, every week, 500. What, what's, this number, what's the number on the show? 594. 594. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I admire your persistence, Fred, and I congratulate you 
for sticking with it for so long. You know, Jeff, people always ask, what keeps it going? And, and Dee Dee and Steve and I and, and Betty Smith, who, who along with Steve started this call many years ago, and Dee Dee was with us with Aaron Russo, and she's been moderating, holding the ship down. But uh, it just goes on by itself. You know, there's, there's a, a web, uh, of a communitized a web, uh, a feeling of connections that we all want to uh, maintain this from week to week. It's a small slice of time. We've done many things over the years, projects and things that uh, we, we, we can go into uh, at another time. But uh, we've been supporting the cause of liberty and freedom. And I, it sounds like you've been doing the same thing. So with you coming on the show tonight, why don't we start before we get into your book? What got you into, what red killed you, uh, Jeff, many years ago to, to stand up for liberty and freedom in, in America? Well, ironically enough, I first got involved in politics because my father was a federal employee. And back, back then, there were many things he was not allowed to do. So you can guess who ended up doing them. Uh, I remember three, three weeks before my eighth birthday, uh, standing across the street from the precinct with this big yard sign. It must have been, this is wood, not cardboard like today or cardstock. It was like yeah. two feet by two feet, not the little uh, placard size yard signs he had today, um, and uh, supporting our candidate for governor. Uh, later on, uh, as I began to talk to a neighbor of mine who was a Goldwater Republican, I began to realize that the government should not be involved in this area or that area or the other area of our lives. And later on, as I kept evolving, uh, I became a libertarian and wanted the smallest possible government and uh, the largest maximum amount of freedom as long as people did not commit violence, theft, or fraud. So that's it in a nutshell. That's like 20 years worth of uh, political evolution in, in two sentences or three. Perfect. Sounds good. <laughs> and that was before the Internet, before email, before cell phones, right? Yes. Yes. Um, let me tell you how far back this was. Uh, I, I was living in a, in a major metropolitan area. And we had just gotten an ABC affiliate as the third network a few years earlier. So uh, and also, you had three channels. So right. Channels, you had three. Yeah, and this, this is in a big city. This is uh, Dade County, uh, Miami, Florida. Okay. Uh, that's how far it was. So um, long-distance calls were still outrageously expensive. Uh, they still had air mail. Uh, but um, things have changed. <laughs> things have changed. Yard signs aren't as big anymore, for one thing. Luckily, I was big for my age. Yeah. Uh, take this back. So Goldwater, that was the 60s. Goldwater Republicans led to uh, Reagan, conservative Reagan Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. And then we had the... Uh, the uh, uh, Ross Perot uh, effect that came in the early 90s as well, which led, which led us to the Clinton, the Clinton East crime family. Well, basically, um, Ross Perot would not have happened if Bush had kept his promise about no new taxes. That yeah. pretty much destroyed his credibility and uh, made it plain he was not looking out uh, for the, for lack of a better term, the average American. So that's what led to Ross Perot. But I want to put in this comment, because if you look at the election returns, Perot probably did not cost Bush the election. Uh, there were a lot of people who, uh, who might have voted for Clinton, uh, but didn't because Ross Perot was an alternative. Now, Ross Perot was not the candidate a lot of his supporters thought he was, but he, he did draw upon this dissatisfaction. Bill Clinton, frankly, was a candidate who people could not trust. 
Uh, he just seemed like Eddie Haskell. If you're old enough to remember Eddie Haskell from Leave It to Beaver. Yep. Uh, uh, kind of smarmy, for lack of a better term. So yep. Rossboro drew uh, across the spectrum. And then, of course, and of course, the the, the Bush wing uh, has been in control ever since, and they, of course, were tied in with the Rockefellers from before that, the Deweys. One book I'd like to uh, put in a plug for it. It's not even mine. Sure, it's called Almost President. Almost President. It's mostly about failed presidential campaigns, all the way from the beginning of the Union. Uh, to probably the 70s or 80s. But the last few chapters, it details how the Republican Party came under the control of the same corporate elites that already ran the Democratic Party. Uh, People today think that big business owns the Republicans and they're just moving in to control the Democrats. Uh, In reality, the, the, the corporate elites pretty much already owned the Democrats by the end of World War II, and then they moved over to control the Republicans as well. With the exception of Goldwater. Yes. Um, and, and you saw what the Republicans did to him when he got nominated. Mm-hmm. He was destroyed. Exactly. Uh, they, they really turned on him. So I definitely recommend that book, Almost President. So, Jeff, uh, if, I, if I could ask, how old are you? I am 66. 66, okay. Uh, we're all kind of in the same boat. I'm 61. Evie and Steve, we're all kind of in the same decade. So uh, we've seen the before uh, automation, before Internet, before all of that, and now we're here uh, so uh, let's kind of take, take, take us through uh, to the present here, Jeff. Uh, just make some comments about the current political landscape under Trump, uh, what's happening in our world. From your perspective, a libertarian perspective, because a lot of us many years ago really jumped on the bandwagon for Ron Paul. And he did run, attempted to run or to get the presidential nomination twice. We were really, really gung-ho the first time. Uh, a lot of us uh, that first time around were, were not happy with the way he, 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 he withdrew his, his uh, involvement uh, sort of right midstream. He was just gathering steam, did the same thing eight, four years later. But, uh, you know, this is as a Republican, but it was a really it was a Republican libertarian revolution that was going on that got us really excited many years ago. I'm sure you're well aware of that. It started out, what happened is that consistently the Republican establishment would literally sabotage his campaign. There was a case in 2008, there was a town in New Hampshire that flat out refused to report his votes uh, to the State Elections Commission. Um, In Iowa, four years later, results from three caucus stations that were expected to support him mysteriously disappeared on their way to the State Elections Commission. In Arizona, there was a precinct caucus that was actually televised on live TV, and nevertheless, the precinct uh, caucus chairman reported in by phone to the State Elections Commission, or the Republican uh, state committee, a vote total for Ron Paul that was like only two-thirds what he had actually drawn, despite the fact that the correct total had been broadcast live on TV. At the convention, uh, some of the delegates were physically assaulted. A lot of them were given wrong instructions about when meetings were going to be or what time they were going to start. Uh, there's one very famous picture of a Romney supporter uh, trying to block the microphone that a Ron Paul speaker was speaking at. Uh, you may remember when Romney was nominated um, up on the board where they're counting the votes, it simply said Mitt Romney and then other candidates. None of the other people running for the nomination were acknowledged on the tote board. 
That's the sort of thing that people who actually want a free market and a, a non-aggressive foreign policy and respect for civil liberties have to contend with in the Republican Party. Uh, we saw the same thing in Texas where a Ron Paul supporter named Deborah Medina uh, was running for governor. It looked like she might make it into the runoff, and then Glenn Beck had her on his program and asked her a completely off-the-wall question. And when she answered it, uh, he made fun of her answer. And then um, the Republican establishment, including some people who are supposedly conservative, um, were dumping on her and claiming that her campaign was over that night. They said it's in free fall. Uh, so, yeah, people who actually support constitutional principles do not have it easy in the Republican Party. Yeah, it was uh, – a lot of us were very naive going into that the, the first and, – and then kind of learned after the first time. But, boy, the shenanigans that, that took place, uh, especially after the first go-around, everyone was attuned and was documenting and recording. And uh, – yeah, and and the Demo- on the Democratic side, uh, the Hillary people, the, the traditional Dems, are doing the same thing to the Bernie Sanders, the far left Dems. Uh, yes, the they, yeah, they thing. actually have admitted that in court. Uh, they have responded to a court filing by admitting that, but saying it's okay, we don't have to obey our own rules. I mean, that is literally what they were telling the court, and the court agreed with them. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of there were a lot of shenanigans going on. So Ron Paul is never going to run again. We are blessed with this outlier in the name of Donald Trump, uh, and uh, a lot of us on this call was not we were not expecting him to to be the president. But uh, you know he is shaking things up. Uh, you know, there are a lot of questions about this whole thing. You know, is it real? Uh, is it contrived? Uh, we are certainly seeing changes. There, there certainly seems to be a deep state uh, rollback that's happening right now with more, more. Uh, you know, in the wake of this Mueller report, uh, there, there's, there's, there seems to be maybe some pushback from the other side, Jeff. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, first of all, yeah, the... the um concept of a deep state first came out, although not used, that term wasn't used, when Clinton was president, because he pushed through Congress a welfare reform bill and signed it. And his own HHS secretary, Health and Human Services secretary, Ghana Shreva, said, well, if, if we end up not liking it, we're going to, and this is an exact quote, invoke the bureaucracy, unquote. Uh, to fight against the implementation of the bill. So, really? yeah, yes. Uh, so, yeah, there is definitely a uh, bureaucratic uh, structure out there that's going to fight any reform. Now, at the risk of upsetting a lot of your listeners, I personally do not believe that Donald Trump is a reformer he's portraying himself as. Uh, his background uh, definitely does not indicate any um, uh, strong love for limited and frugal government. Uh, a lot of the people he's appointed have definitely been of the swamp. Um, I mean, his first Secretary of State was a corporate CIO, uh, CEO. Um, his current Secretary of State is a CIA lifer. Um, his budgets are Obama-esque. His deficits are Obama-esque. Um, I was very pleased when he talked about uh, withdrawing U.S. troops from Syria, and then he backed down on that. Uh, he ran as a president who was going to be more cautious in committing U.S. forces abroad, but that, that hasn't proven to be the case. Well, he, it certainly makes for great reality TV. I guess we could yeah. all, all, all agree on that. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I hope the Hillary uh, the, the the 
the Hillary uh, email situation, I, I hope it's readdressed because a lot of us uh, were really upset with the way that she got off the hook. Not only that, but in the big Gaza situation as well. And, and it goes on and on. The whole I, 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 uh, Uranium One scandal. I mean, it just the, the level of corruption that the Clintons have, the history of that just goes. goes and, the, and the Clinton buy count, my God, I think it's in the 200s right now. But, well, that that all caught up with her, Fred. Um, you saw that in, in 2016, where she was losing states that um, were were solidly Democratic. As a matter of fact, they were referred to as the Blue Wall. And the scandals, as well as her arrogance, uh, caught up with her. So she lost some of the states that she uh, had been taking for granted, and yeah. it, it cost her. And she didn't campaign in those states as well. Exactly. She took them for granted. Plus the fact that despite the fact that Trump was a, or came across as a multi-billionaire, she let him come across as the more populist. Uh, She could not bring herself to actually say anything that would resonate with working class people uh, and the poor. Um, a lot of her supporters had the same problem. If if you look, were on Facebook during the election, uh, like two thirds of the memes being posted by her supporters were about her her endorsements by Hollywood stars, people who made you know twelve million dollars a year or more, twenty million dollars a year, some of them twenty million per picture, uh, and she never said anything that would give people confidence that she would stand up for the middle class or small business or the working person. Uh, She gave speeches to Wall Street executives that she didn't want made public, and that made people suspicious of what she had promised them. Um, So, yeah, it's not so much that he beat her as that she beat herself. Okay. Do you think there's any chance she'll she'll run again? I don't think so. She would almost have to jump into it this year. I can't see her being viable in 2024 if she's even around then. And I'm not obviously I'm not um, someone who looks down on older people uh, yeah. being 66 and having had a couple heart attacks two months ago. But oh my God, I don't I don't think. Her health will put up with it. Okay. Now, uh, Jeff, I have to ask you, when I introduced you, you talked about us, you know, supporting Aaron Russo and the movie and everything else. But do you go back to the We the People Foundation and Bob Schultz? Do you remember that whole saga? With that I do not. I, I've heard of We the People. Um, I was busy with other things at the time, so please feel free to fill me in. Okay. <laughs> I will send you some links, but basically, We the People Foundation for Constitutional Education got underway in the, in the early 90s and, and blossomed into the early 2000s with several lawsuits, and it was a, it was, there were thousands, tens of thousands of, of volunteers, including myself, from all over the country, all walks of life, it focused like a laser on one thing, the last 10 words in the First Amendment, the right to petition. And uh, there's a body of work, of activism, of lawsuits, et cetera, surrounding those last 10 words that it's rich with color and stories and uh, some of the most amazing drama, uh, pushing back against the deep state using the right to petition, which is a It's called the Capstone Right by Bob Schultz. He's the founder of that organization. He's still alive in upstate New York. Uh, Somebody ought to do a movie or write a book if you want to do the research. But uh, I'll I'll send you all the links. Uh, It's just a wonderful chapter in American history. And I'd be more than happy to uh, fill you in with all the details at another time. But uh, Uh, Please do, but are you familiar with Paul Jacobs? Paul Jacobs? Paul Jacobs. Oh. He's with the, um, 
he is very big on the right to petition. Uh, I, I, the, the name of his group is slipping my uh, my mind, but he uh, he's over on town hall quite frequently. He writes on town hall. If you're familiar with that, yeah, yep. Well, do you know Charles Lingerfeld? Charles Lingerfeld. Uh, he and I communicate sometimes on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. He he he's, he was a supporter of, of Bob Schultz. Uh, Cameron Kirkconnell, does that name ring a bell down there in Houston? Cameron? Uh, he and I communicate on Facebook also. Okay, he was a member of We the People Foundation as well many years ago. So anyway, I'll bring you up to date on that. Now let's let's kind of turn the tables on uh, on you. And um, you've been writing since you were a kid. And uh, tell us about this book. Okay. Um the novel deals with a, a young woman who had been highly promiscuous, uh, so I'm allowed to say that on the air, sure. and she decides to turn away from that lifestyle. She gets married, she goes back to school, and she ends up becoming a political activist. And from round heel to revolutionary is the story of her uh, making that turnaround. Okay. How many pages is the book? Um, it's about, in the paperback edition, I believe about 160 to 180. It's also available okay. in e-format. It's available on Amazon. Okay. And what inspired you to write this book? Because you, you, you make reference to another book that, that connects the dots there. Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll be very frank with you, Fred. What uh, inspired me to write the book is that my wife and I needed money. I was hoping that would be a way to do it where I wouldn't have to uh, quit my proverbial day job uh, where okay. I could write the book at night. But, okay. uh, there, there had been an earlier novel written by someone else that was um, was not well received. I, um, it, was, it was basically written... Uh, to be honest with you, uh, to titillate, and I wanted to write something that would be above that, but that would still tell the story uh, of Linda and be, be tell it honestly, uh, without being um, overly uh, risque, for lack of a better term. Okay. Okay. So uh, I hope I achieve that. Yeah. Uh, how does the because when you sit down to write, uh, Jeff, uh, you've got so many different ways to promote uh, a book like that today, uh, whether it's through a website, a blog, social media, etc. Uh, and um, I know a lot of what people are doing today. For example, you're familiar with a gentleman called Mark Mark Dice. It's not ringing a bell off the top of my head. Uh, okay. No. Okay. Mark Dice is a, is a guy with like 1.5 to 2, 2.5 million subscribers on YouTube. And he's a libertarian activist who just blows the doors down with uh, a very humorous uh, sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> and he pokes fun uh, – he, he pokes fun – at the Democratic liberal left beehives. And uh, he just has a field day, uh, you know, creating these uh, YouTube videos. And, and, and <laughs> he just is a great anecdote to, to the madness that's out there. But uh, he's written several books, and he, he, he does them all electronically. You can, I think you can buy them in paperback as well. Most of it is, you know, he, he sells them in the ebook format, I guess. A lot of people are doing that now. Yeah, that's why he's very popular for five years or so. Yeah, he's got them priced, you know, it's, it's, you know, six to 12 bucks, not 20 or 30 for hard copy. It's just, you know, you, you buy it, you download it, you read it. And, uh, but uh, that's how he makes his living. And, and he does a really good, even though he's under attack, like, uh, uh, so uh, Facebook and, and YouTube and, and 
Twitter and, you know, a lot of people are being deplatformed and, and demonetized. It's really becoming a problem. It really is. So they're selling T-shirts instead of, you know, selling ads on YouTube. It's, they're having to adapt. So It's not easy, um, like in my case, because uh, I've never had a whole lot of money. I've had to depend on uh, free free social media or uh, email. I'm on several uh, uh, political mailing lists. I will promote the novel from time to time there uh, or on Facebook on different pages as well as my own. So, yeah, it has not been easy. Um, the, the one advantage I have is that when people look for my book, they can look by my last name because there are only two people on Amazon with my last name. One of whom is a relative of mine who wrote a book about medicine. He was a he was an MD. So, okay, all right. <laughs> so when you search for my last name, just remember I'm not Harvey. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Well, so have you uh, during your political campaigns, Jeff? Uh, take us to. Are, are you going to run again? Or, or how many campaigns have you gone? It sounds like you've gone through at least a half a dozen campaigns. Over <laughs> well, not quite. Um, I have been on the ballot four times. Four times? Okay. Uh, uh, first time was that I ran for city council here in Houston, uh, one of the largest cities in America, uh, 1979. Nine years later, I was the Libertarian nominee for U.S. Senate. Two years after that, the Libertarian nominee for governor. And then... Okay. 12 years after that, the Libertarian nominee for governor again. Okay. And you're in Ron Paul's district, so I'm sure you've met Ron Paul. Uh, I have met him, and he has spoken at some Libertarian events. I once was um, introduced to him in 1992 uh, at a um, at a political function. Um uh, that was the year they were. They were uh, he was not getting uh, the libertarians was not getting very much attention, and there were of course Clinton, Bush, and Perot. So when I introduced them, I said, uh, "Right now, there's talk about a debate with Clinton, Bush, and Perot, but yeah. they're at a standstill in the negotiations because they can't decide which one is going to be no." And back then, people got the joke. They might not today. I didn't get it. Okay, Mo was in the three stooges. Okay, all right, got it. Well, what happened to Ron Paul, though? He should have been in the debate. Well, he ran in 88. This was in 92. Oh, I got it. Okay, Ron Paul was in 88. That's right. Okay, got it. Well, fast forward to 2006, seven, Jeff. Uh, if you'll recall, Ron Paul put his hat in the ring in early 2007 to declare his candidacy to run in the Republican Party. Okay. Right. Correct. And behind the scenes, behind the scenes, prior to January, February, because he announced in mid-February, uh, actually, this show, this call, was used to promote Aaron Russo's movie back in the day. So we would have these, uh, you know, almost like every day of the week conference calls with people calling in from all over the country. Uh, and we would have Aaron Russo on there organizing various cities, states, uh, locales all across the country to activate that movie, to get people to the theaters and, and, and to put flyers and everything else. So we had a whole virtual army, people, boots on the ground that were supporting uh, Aaron Russo's movie, American Freedom to Fascism. And as you know, well, well, I guess you haven't seen the movie, but in that movie, there was a cameo appearance by Dr. Ron Paul. And that's where these thousands of people discovered Ron Paul. And it was Aaron Russo, the director, the producer of that movie, that single-handedly grabbed Ron Paul by the neck <laughs> and said, you're running for president. <laughs> And, uh, and it was this army, this early Tea Party army of people like me, like Dee like Steve, uh, that were behind that movie, behind Aaron Russo, behind Bob Schultz, the Beautiful Foundation, that started the whole thing going. 
So Ron Paul basically snapped with his fingers, had, a, had, a, had an activated army of uh, very, very passionate uh, supporters that, that he did not have to go out and recruit, pay for, or anything else. It was just natural grassroots. That was really, really organic and, and, and full of energy back in the day. And yes, this, this, and, and they were also pretty generous. He once raised $6 million in one night. One day, $6 million. Yes. I remember that. <laughs> we were on that uh, website that whole day. I, I, my name passed through a couple of times as well. <laughs> well, yeah, well yeah, that was a good. record at the time. Yeah, no, it was a single-day record. That really get, turned a lot of heads. So anyway, uh, so we actually, in mid-February, uh, it was, I got Ron Paul's personal cell phone number from Aaron, and we tapped him into this, this show, this call. We had like close to two, 3,000 people on, I, I believe, between two separate uh, channels, and uh, we almost broke the lines. But uh, yeah. Ron, uh, it was at the end of his week, the same week that he announced he was running for president, he came on the show many years ago. It was a pretty amazing. It was a cold winter night in February in Chicago, but uh, we we've been blessed to have him on three times back in the day when the show first started that first year. Uh, I'm I'm living in Houston. What is this winter you're talking about? Yeah, <laughs> up here in Chicago, it gets pretty cold. Okay. Like 35 below. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and, and anyway, well, Jim, well, our thermometer starts at seventy. So, okay, I was down there in Houston uh, a couple of months ago in February. We were down there. We drove. We flew into Houston. Drove up to College Station to see my son's baseball team at Texas A and M for a weekend. It was nice. Well, I'm always glad to run across another baseball fan. Yep. Well, we're Cub fans up here. Uh, we're we're dyed in the wool. Uh, all of our boys have played baseball. Two have played in college. One currently still playing in college. We're driving down tomorrow morning to see him play in Dayton, Ohio, against Wright State University uh, for the weekend. But um, yeah, we're we're a big baseball family. Well, let me stop stop speaking, uh, Jeff. Why don't you just put out uh, sort of a, a, a final statement here about you about the book. Uh, where people can find it. We did provide the Facebook link and the Amazon link to the book, but if you want to make one final comment, then we'll open it up for comments and questions from our listeners, okay? Yes, I would. I, um, uh, I've had the book described in a few different ways, one of which is that it's kind of a um, secular version of the cross in the search blade, and that Linda had had a, a pretty wayward life, and then she decided to get back on the on the uh, more appropriate path. I've had it described as 50 Shades for Thinking People uh, or Modern Day Pygmalion. Basically, if you're interested in the period it's set in, which is from the 60s until the beginning of the 70s, and if you're interested in the story of someone who decides to turn her life around and make something of it, uh, I, I would hope that you would buy the book, several copies, dozens of copies. It's on Amazon. It's available in e-format, and it's now available in print-on-demand paperback. So hopefully everybody in your audience will go out and buy several copies. Okay. Jeff, is this? can you actually buy an electronic version without having to have a uh, Kindle reader or one of those one of those apps, or, or can you? Is there an app we can read it on? I believe there is nowadays. I'm not sure uh, because I'm, I'm still using a desktop, but um, I believe there is a non-Kindle uh, electronic format. But, but check on Amazon okay. to make sure. Okay. S- sounds sounds good. Okay. Uh, Okay, uh, anybody out there on the show, just star six yourself. Uh, and a little bit of a heads up next week, I will not be on the show, guys, because I'm flying to to Denver and driving up to Billings 
Uh, the funeral is on Wednesday, and I'll be by the time I get back, I'll be on the flight coming back the next day because uh, my brother and I are driving from Denver all the way up to Billington back uh, next next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So for for my aunt's funeral. So uh, comments and questions for Jeff Dale on the show tonight. Just star six your phone. Testing, testing. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Everybody's being very okay. quiet. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it won't 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 be the last time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, creative writing, uh, Jeff, is got to be a challenge. But when you get into the groove, I guess it must be pretty exciting to craft a, 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 an image or a storyline in your mind and then see it manifest in the form of a book, uh, uh, just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the whole process, but, uh, it, it has been, um, when I first got the idea, I of course had to sit down and decide what was going to happen, uh, to Linda, uh, and, what was going to happen also to the characters around her because she had, in the novel, she has to face the reality that the man who had led a gang rape of her uh, in the previous novel, um, but the one that was written by someone else, uh, was going to be... Wait, 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 yeah, that's the question I had. Tell us this connection to the other novel. Is your Linda the same as this other Linda in the other novel? Yes, it is the same Linda. Um, and um, because I'm a little embarrassed that when I was a, um, uh, a teenager, I, I read part of that book. I'm not going to go into the details on it. But I do take her from the end of that book, um, uh, I can say through her journey, to becoming a political activist. But one of the things she has to worry about is the man who had led a gang rape of her will be getting out of jail soon. Um, oh, my gosh. She, she has been estranged from her mother for years, and I had to deal with that. Um, when she was a small child uh, in the original novel, her father had walked out the door one day and never come back. I had to decide how I was going to handle that. Um, the, her life really started going apart uh, when she seduced her English instructor. So I had to decide how to handle that relationship, the English instructor's relationship with his own wife. And then, of course, when Linda gets married, I have to deal with her relationship with her husband, who's not all entirely sure that he approves of some of her politics. So that all had to come together, and I had to um, to decide how to handle that and in what order, where to stop it. Um, that was one of the big decisions because I suddenly realized I wanted this to be only the story of her turning her life around and not her entire biography. I also had to decide whose voice I was going to use, and I ended mm-hmm. up writing the novel in the voice of her English instructor's older daughter, um, the daughter of the man she had seduced, and how I had to figure oh, wow. out how, yes, how her the daughter... Married the married man, the married man. Yes, married with two oh, children, yeah. oh. and had to decide how... The daughters, his daughters, were going to deal with knowing that their father uh, uh, had a roving eye, to put it politely, and had to deal with the effect on their parents' marriage. Um, And then, of course, in my novel, there's a scene where the original novel comes to her town, and the entire town finds out how she spent her college life or her high school years um, and the the effect that it has on her standing in the town. 
So it was it was pretty interesting. I enjoyed doing it. I had to rearrange the book a couple of times to get it into the right order. Uh, I usually uh, had try to outline a book pretty thoroughly before I started. Uh, but this one, I got so many ideas at the same time uh, that I was starting different chapters, and later on had to go back and figure out the the order that they were going to go in. Um, I learned when I was still in college that I really should outline, and I've tried to do that ever since then, but this book kind of got away from me, literally. Uh, it kind of took on a life of its own. Um, I do have another book that's been accepted by the publisher, completely different. It's a science fiction novel, and that one was very thoroughly outlined uh, before I ever uh, went to the typewriter. We were using typewriters back then. <laughs> I wrote the book a long time ago. But uh, this one, of course, was on a word processor. And Fred, if you ever hear somebody talk about the good old days, turn around and walk away because they weren't. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to write a book with a typewriter and carbon paper. But I, no fun. Uh, I love computers. Yeah. Uh, Listen, my, my biggest fear growing up was the the task of writing term papers, believe it or not. And uh, I had a struggle for years, uh, you know, in high school and then through college. When I went to Northwestern here in Evanston, Chicago, uh, the amount of writing for these liberal arts classes was just incredible. And, and, and we had no computers. <laughs> And you had, to, you had to do the outline, you had to do the hand drafts, and you had to get the white pieces of paper out, put it in the typewriter. It was a nightmare. <laughs> oh, yeah. And some instructors want the footnotes, literally to be footnotes, they want them on the same page, yeah, which is yeah. fine with a word processor, but if you have to figure that out on a typewriter, it's no fun at all. So I am oh. really glad the computer age happened. Uh, I, I do not, uh, I do not knock the modern age at all, like some people uh, who are over forty do. Okay. Uh, I love the internet. I love word processors. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Microsoft Word is in a special publishing uh, processor that you use, Jeff, or, or is it just standard Microsoft? I know they used to. Uh, have one for footnotes. I don't know if they still do. Okay. Um, but actually, if it weren't for the internet, I could not have written for Brown Peel the Revolutionary the way I wanted to, because I would have had no way to find out things I needed to find out. Um, okay. For instance, did you know you cannot take a U-Haul trailer into Mexico from the United States? Uh, no. Okay. Well, no reason why you should. Well, that's uh, that's one thing I had to find out. I was able to do it quickly. Um, it is not a good idea to use a Carmen Gia or Carmen Gia to haul a U-Haul trailer. Uh, I found that out because I was able to find the um, uh, the Carmen Gia fan club on the net. Um, I found out that every Every county in California is entitled to at least one superior court judge. Uh, something else I had to find out uh, before okay. I could write what I wanted. Um, I had to find out what the what the law was in California back then on statutory rape. And the first thing, of course, I had to find out was whether the original novel was still under copyright because uh, yeah. I didn't want to get sued. And it turned out that. It, the copyright was never renewed, but then it was only 17 years, and the author died uh, back in the late 70s, so I was unclear on that. But yes, I really, really love the Internet. Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, boy. Well, good luck on that, on that next book, Jeff, and, keep, and keep, keep, us, keep us in mind. We'll, we'll definitely stay in touch, and... Uh, um, and as we move forward, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be more things to write about politically. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it certainly. I mean, you gotta love the 
the animus and the emotion and the energy that's going on in this uh, titanic battle. <laughs> it seems to be happening. People are being educated. They're becoming more aware. Uh, this, this, whatever you want to call it, the, the Internet is providing a, a way for people to connect, help, and serve one another, discover information that was otherwise off limits. Yes, it is censored. Yes, it is. Uh, there's a lot of pushback, but um, I, I feel gratified that at least some of this information is getting out there about, you know, how our monetary system doesn't work, uh, what's really happening in, in the courts, uh, you know, and, and where did our Constitution go? That's it, it, a good question, huh? <laughs> uh, it's a very good question. It may be the central, central question of, of our time, um, what happened to the Constitution. They they aren't they aren't teaching it to our kids. That's all I know. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just not uh, it's not taught. I I know uh, you know I remember vaguely a civics class here and there, but uh, uh, there should be far more educate uh, you know time and effort and energy spent when we are younger learning about American values, the Declaration of Independence. Uh, formation of the Constitution, the practical application of the laws of the court system, etc. It's just not done. No, it's, uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, Fred, but I was in junior college before I realized that the Constitution gave Congress the authority to limit the Supreme Court's appellate jurisdiction. Now, I'm not saying whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, but I didn't know they had that authority. I was actually out of college a couple of years, and I, I have a degree in government from a good school, not an expensive okay. school, but a well-respected one. And sure. before I realized that even though I had known about the Electoral College since I was eight, I mean literally since I was eight, I did not realize we didn't even have the right to vote for the electors. I found that out um, in the mid-70s. Uh, despite my, my civics classes, like you said, and having to read government. Uh, the Constitution just isn't taught, taught that well. The, the other problem is, and this is um, a personal soapbox of mine, uh, history is often taught to be boring. Uh, most of the leaders in our history, whether they were good or bad, uh, honest or corrupt, they were interesting. Uh, George Washington loved to gamble. George Washington mm -hmm. loved to flirt. And if you mention that in, in history class, people might pay more attention. I mean, he was always faithful to his wife, but he loved to flirt. Um, Abraham Lincoln told dirty jokes. People don't know that. It, it might make him more interesting. Um, yeah. uh, ben, ben Franklin uh, was a bed hopper. And if you mention that, uh, that might make him more interesting. Uh, he's probably the most interesting founder anyway, other than Jefferson. But history just isn't taught uh, to be interesting. Part of the problem, and I'm serious about this, is you sound very minor, but uh, most of what people see of the early history of the United States are these oral portraits, which are very, very formal. And that makes all the founders look very austere and very boring. The teacher doesn't say, keep in mind, this costs a lot of money. Of course, he's not going to be thumbing um, uh, his nose at the, at the painter. Uh, so that's part of the problem. We, we need to make history more interesting to children. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a great point. I, you know, I don't know if you watch the History Channel, but I, I really appreciate those shows that they do uh, that bring history to life. Uh, yeah, and stuff like that. Yes. There's just there's not enough of that, and and more needs to be done to to make it uh, a living history, so to speak. Uh, but uh, another reason why movies are better than textbooks uh, because yeah. it can engage the audience uh, better. Well, listen, when we have you back on, maybe we can talk about making history more lively, more interesting, and bring some of those anecdotes. To the next show, okay? <laughs> well, I hope so. I mean, if you ever teach a class on the 1960s, use my novel. Okay. Uh, the <laughs> Woodstock generation. The Woodstock gen generation. <laughs> well, it starts out well before that. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, yes, thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and the audience. Yeah, Jeff, thank you so much. Uh, just one last shout out. Anyone else uh, been listening, uh, make a comment or question? And if not, we're going to close out the show, the official version show. And Jeff, people definitely say all right. Well, thank you all very much. Thank you. Breaking up. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks, Edie. Thanks, Steve. Disappearing. My phone connection's off. Bye-bye. Night. It got better, Fred. Well, was his, was his battery just dying or something? Oh, I think he's in the area. Dee's had some problem with her phone, too. Oh, okay. Is she still on? Uh, I don't see. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Fred, you still there? No, I think he's gone. Okay. And I, I was wondering, I was trying, I was something wanted to mention it or ask Didi about, but uh, she's not here. Uh, did you get my, Steve, did you get my email? Uh, from a good while back. I hadn't seen no, no, just, just, just today. Oh, no, I hadn't even been in my email yet. I just, hang on one more time. Okay. I'll look for it, Steve. I hadn't I hadn't had a chance to go through everything. I was kinda of late getting in. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, uh no, I'll look for it though. Well, basically I just went by you and just see what you know about it. Uh you know this whole thing uh, about the G D two fourteen that uh uh Fred and Crosby were uh, talking about? see that. I did see that. Yeah, I did get that, and I forwarded that to Fred. I did. I forwarded that to his uh, his cell phone. I did see your message, and I, like I said, I went ahead and forwarded that to Fred. Oh, uh, okay, great. Because I was wondering, there's some simple, uh, there's mention of a list existing, uh, and I'd like, to, I'd like to know how to decode those and what the list is, it looks like. I wonder if that's public knowledge. Yeah. I'm not anyway. sure. Um, like I said, I sent that. Okay, great. Thank you. So yeah, so hopefully you know he'll he'll read that over. Yeah, I tried sending Fred too, but I must use a uh, bad uh, address. I guess he's ditched. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Sounds like we're the only people left on here. No, there's there's a few. We've got a. Uh, Caller from San Antonio. We got somebody from uh, Cook County. Area code three one two. That's Cook County's finest. So uh, oh. we still got, and Gary's still on with us. Oh. Sixty two. No, we got. We still got a bunch of people on. Oh. So anyway, but uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I think I think Jeff's been on with us before. Hey, Gary. How are you doing? All right, pretty good, buddy. That uh, DD that DD two fourteen. Uh, uh, if you get a hold of, uh, of uh, your buddy there, uh, they had a couple hours on the DD two fourteen and how they read those codes, the secret codes that are on the form. There's yeah. three or four digits after the DD two fourteen. Right, right. And I've got it recorded somewhere, but I don't know where. But uh, uh, I don't know if the I don't know if the top has or not anymore, but uh, he, 
he had to go out and explain up until a certain year uh, you could uh, find out if they blackballed you or anything. Whatever they did to you, it, uh, they had a secret code on there that a lot of people didn't know anything about, but employers didn't know how to read that. Yeah, well, that's what that Ed Crosby, he did that video with Fred that's up, you know, we've, we've oh, okay. a long time. Fred and Ed Crosby did a whole video on that thing. It was about 10 years ago when they did that video. Um, but I was think he I, on the power hour? No, no, this was... Okay. I don't remember who that was that George Riley had on oh, yeah, there. Yeah, uh, yeah, actually, Renee here in Charlotte referred Ed Crosby to the power hour. He has been on the power hour before, yes. So, yeah, he, oh, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, he was on there before. Joyce uh, had him on there talking about that. So that was okay. Well, maybe that's who it was. But then they, uh, but after a certain year, you had to go to uh, a congressman. They had to go to the government somehow, and they they could look it up right. in the archives uh, stored in mm-hmm. in uh, in a in a cave in um, in Colorado. I think they had to go there and look it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, we lost Ed. Oh, now. okay. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I yeah. heard it. I heard he wasn't doing too, too well a couple of weeks ago. If you go to the newsletter, if you go to aunetwork.tv, go to the newsletter and go down the bottom of the page, you'll see a picture of Ed Crosby, and you can click on that and watch the video. That whole video is up on our newsletter. So it's been up there for mm-hmm. the past four weeks. And also, the big news, too, if anybody ever, ever reads the newsletter anymore, Press TV, who I've been using for the past 10 years, for news yeah. clips on our newsletter was shut down by Google. So that's all over this week's newsletter. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, is RT completely shut down then? Oh, yeah. yeah, Google closed them out. They've had a YouTube channel for the past 10 oh. years, and they just pulled oh, yeah. a plug on them. It's huh. all I've ever seen. So uh, there's no reason to do that. But they didn't pull the plug on RT, rush of the day. It's strange. But yet they'll pull the plug on press TV. Doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. Huh. No, uh, I mean I, I don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, I find yeah. I found their news to be pretty credible, and and also they've probably done a better job uh, on nine eleven truth than any of the rest of them. Yeah. Besides, well, what's the point? I mean, you know, uh, there's someone else going to pop up and do the same thing. I mean, uh, I mean, you know. Sensing just doesn't work in this day and age, I would think. I mean, you got to be on the ball to anyway, keep it up. Well, I, that's why I put it up in every category on the newsletter. I just I know it's called for. Yeah, I think it's uncalled for. Oh, definitely. Any right? Um, just just the way it goes. Very strange. Very strange. But uh, at any rate, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, Google's pretty big, and I guess, you know, they do what the hell they want to. Yeah, they, they pulled a hundred, and I forget, uh, there's a site you can go to on Google that tells how many programs uh, that they've uh, uh, ditched in the last uh, so many years. In other words, it'll be up and running, and, uh, and then they just pull it for no reason. Yeah. Mm. I can't well, think of it. It's something simple you type in, it'll give you all of them that they pulled. Well, they said that they're going to start censoring different categories. And, yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, that's strange, too. But, uh, you know. they got to be like Facebook, I guess. Yeah, well. Facebook censored stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, YouTube is owned by Google, so. Yeah, okay. The thought police and the memory hall. Yep, very, very strange indeed. Very strange indeed, but uh, that's the way it goes. All right, guys, I'm getting ready to call it night, too, so uh, everybody have a good week, and we'll see everybody next week. There's still a few people on if you all want to talk. There's there's quite a few people still on the call, but I'm uh, going to be signing out, so we'll see everybody next week. Hey, by the way, is there is there a Harbor Freight in uh, Charlotte? Do you know? Yeah, yeah, there is. I've heard of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they got a uh, they've got a wireless uh, uh, alert system. You know, that like a 
or a motion detector. They're about fifteen bucks, so you can get them on sale for ten. And I was just let somebody know that they, I thought they had one in Charlotte. Yeah, somewhere over there. And it's it's what now, Steve? What is it? Or is it Gary? Gary, what is, yeah, what is Gary. it? Gary. Uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, okay. It, it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, it's an alarm. It's a motion detector. It's a wireless remote uh, wireless detector. In other words, you can set it up at your door or set it up anywhere, and anything walks by your cat or dog or person or whatever, it'll set it off. Really? That's, that oh yeah, they're only, it's fifteen bucks and on sale for nine ninety five. And the, the, the sender runs on a nine volt battery, and the receiver runs on three uh, yeah. uh, triple uh, C batteries, so, and they last a long time. I bought one called a driveway alarm, but they call theirs a uh, a wireless security alert system or something like that. And they're fifteen bucks, and sometimes you can get. Last night they were on sale for nine ninety five. Yeah, yeah. You can carry it around with you. Do whatever you want with it. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all down there, but they're stealing everything they can get their hands on around here. These these yeah. folks, uh, as soon as it gets dark, they dress in all black and they spread out and they run up and down the streets and the alleys, uh, seeing what they can steal. Whatever the guy, he left his billfold laying in the seat and ran in the house to get something. He come back, the billfold was gone. That's not that's not a good idea. Next door to me. Yeah, yeah. And they broke in another house and stole all the tools. Not far from oh, me, yeah. so it, it's crazy out here. Yeah, Harbor Freight. Yeah, thanks for that yeah. tip, Gary. I'll check that out. That's, that's Harbor Freight Tools. It's HarborFreightTools.com. Yeah, yeah, we've got them. I'll check it okay, out. Okay, thank you. Right, Have buddy. a good week. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Gary. Yeah. That that thing is it? Does it flip a relay? Just turn a circuit on? American Underground Network. It just set the alarm off. Well, so... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.